Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. A big U.S. Open win for Rory McIlroy. We'll talk about that. In segment three, an update on the latest from the NFL and NBA collective bargaining agreement negotiations. One league looks like they may be close. Another, miles apart. We'll tell you about that coming up in segment three. In segment four, Bill Shaken, a terrific reporter for the Los Angeles Times. We're going to talk about the latest with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Are they going to be able to make payroll? Uh, the Fox deal that would have brought the team $3 billion reportedly has been nixed by Bud Selig in Major League Baseball. What does that mean to the future of the Dodgers? We'll talk about that in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on your end. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter. You can find those icons on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com as well. Well, in Portland, where the show originates from, I'm going to be doing five days of week of radio. So I'm on Monday through Friday now, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time on The Game, 7.50 a.m. in Portland. If you like this show, I invite you to listen to that. You can listen via streaming audio at 750thegame.com, 750thegame.com. Also, tune in radio. It's a great app for your smartphone. If you don't have it, you can listen to 300-plus radio stations throughout the United States. Get TuneIn Radio. Look for The Game, 7.50 a.m. Portland. You can listen as well. All right, headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. As they take me to my local down the street. I'm smiling, but I'm dying, trying not to drag my feet. They say a few drinks will help me to forget her. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, 22-year-old Rory McIlroy wins the U.S. Open. He does it in historic fashion, shoots the lowest score ever at the U.S. Open. And, you know, a lot of people want to know what are the business ramifications of Rory McIlroy winning? Well, first of all, even though there are some people this week calling Rory McIlroy the next Tiger Woods as far as what he may mean to the world of golf, Griggs the U.S. Open was the second lowest rated U.S. Open on TV since 1988. So, no Tiger, no Phil Mickelson in the mix. Even though Rory dominated, people weren't watching. Second lowest U.S. Open on TV since 1988. That's not good for golf. It's certainly not good for Tim Fincham and the PGA when they go in at the end of this year to renegotiate their TV deal. I do think Roy McIlroy could be a nice uh, breath of fresh air for the PGA Tour, but the problem is this. He doesn't want to play 15 events a year to get his PGA Tour card. So if he's only playing 11, 12, 13 events, there's, I don't know that he's going to resonate with the American fan like Tiger Woods did or like Phil Mickelson does. Yeah, I was going to say he's not quite as visible as those two are, and Americans love to root for American guys. Right. And we see that with Phil and with, uh, with Tiger. And Rory, although fun to watch, and it was a great U.S. Open, I watched the whole thing, but um, yeah, he doesn't have that visibility. He doesn't want to play over here quite as much. I know they interviewed him after Costas asked him, are you going to play in America more? And he's like, I better have to. You know, I might have to. Well, but here's the deal. So Chubby Chandler, his agent, has already met with Tim Fincham, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, and they haven't struck a deal yet. And the deal that Chubby Chandler is looking for is Tiger Woods, when he plays in tournaments, he gets guarantees, whether it's domestically or abroad. So you're not just playing for prize money. When you show up, you know you're, you're probably getting a million dollars just for playing in the field. Once you start talking those types of figures for Roy McElroy appearance fees just for showing up, then I think you might see him bump up his schedule on the PGA Tour. And keep in mind, it's so important for these guys to play in the events for sponsors who are getting behind PGA Tour stops, for uh, organizers who want good attendance. I mean, if Tiger Woods comes and plays at your event, it's a big payday for everyone involved. Same thing with Phil Mickelson. Will that be the same for Rory McIlroy? I don't know. I look at tennis, Griggs, and tennis to the American fan has really been on the decline in the last 10 years, really since Sampras and Agassi went away. As much as Nadal and Federer have done an amazing job uh, on the tennis court, they haven't really resonated with the American fan. Like you just said, Americans like to root for Americans. If you don't have Americans dominating, then Americans aren't really interested in watching. And also, don't forget, I mean, Rory, he tanked at the Masters, did great at the U.S. Open. we got to see what he's going to do next. I mean, is he going to come, come every time he plays, or is this going to be kind of an up-and-down roller coaster? Because that'll hurt his, his viewership, too, is if you know, he tanks and doesn't do good for the next couple of tournaments, and then all of a sudden he's back. So. Right. I like how he handles himself. I like how he conducts his interviews. Um, he seems like a good kid. I think there will be companies that want to put their brand in line with his brand, but we'll see. I mean, let's not anoint him Tiger Woods yet. The guy's won one major, and he did it in historic fashion, but let's see how he does over the long term, and let's see if he plays in America regularly. Then I think he'll resonate with Americans and American companies. 
Our next headline, Serena Williams returns to the court, and she's at Wimbledon. And after her first-round match, don't forget, she's been out almost a year. She was very emotional. She broke down crying. Um, It was a long road back for her. And I've said, if you look at Tiger Woods right now, I think Tiger Woods should do what Serena Williams did. She was hurt. Her doctor said, take the year off, get better, come back healthy. Don't come back too early and hurt yourself again. I think Tiger Woods is going to shut it down the rest of this year if he's smart. Come back healthy in 2012. But it was nice to see Serena back out there, like we just discussed. For tennis, if Serena and Venus aren't playing for the women... Name five women tennis player. I mean, no one knows about women's tennis in America, really, beyond the Williams sisters. They're the big draw. So for Wimbledon to have both of them in the field is a big deal. On the men's side, you know, we'll see how long Andy Roddick can hang around. And uh, people like Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, but Americans want to see Americans. So, you know, if you disagree with me on my whole take on all of that, Brian at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Our next headline, Albert Pujols is out four to six weeks, fractured forearm. This is the perfect example, Griggs, of a bird in the hand. Sometimes in life, if you have a sure thing, you seize it, you take it, and you move on and you don't look back. Before the season started, the St. Louis Cardinals offered Albert Pujols a reported eight-year, $200 million contract. Pujols has had a down year to date, still great by most people's standards, but not by his standards. And now he's hurt, and he's out four to six weeks. He's going to be a year older at the end of this year. I would say... I don't think he's going to get $200 million going forward. I think if he gets $100 to $125 million. So if he would have taken that $200 million before the season started, he'd be a lot better off than he is today. Yeah, it's one of those examples, like you say, you know, it's a, it's a risky business being in sports and signing those contracts. But yeah, we've really seen him just kind of surface and then kind of drop down the season and the injury is going to kill him. The team's not the best. Um, yeah, I think it, it could hurt him in the long run for sure. We'll see. I mean, you know, I still think he'll get a nice contract. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to get A-Rod money. And I think teams are going to look at him and say, okay, uh, he's getting a little older. Is he starting to break down? Like, you don't sign that guy, I don't think, to an eight-year deal. You don't cripple your franchise uh, financially by having 25 to 30% of your payroll tied up into him. And if you're the Cardinals, you've got to be looking at this two ways. One, thank God we didn't sign him to a $200 million deal. And also, he's out four to six weeks. What does this team look like without Albert Pujols? Because if we can't come to an agreement with him at the end of the year, now we get a glimpse of what that might look like with Matt Holliday and Lance Berkman and the other people on our roster. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys where people tune in to see him play. I mean, right. he's definitely the, he's the Cardinals guy. I mean, he that's is, why he's people, their brand. Yeah, that's why people watch them, and that hurts them. You know, that's six weeks uh, where he's not going to be. They're not going to watch as much. Right. No, I agree. Uh, The NBA draft took place on Thursday, and lots of business around that. We'll talk about that more next week. Um, A tornado damaged several horse barns at Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby takes place, and it prompted track officials to halt races on Thursday at the famed Kentucky Derby horse track. Some horses had to be moved to private farms. So we'll be able to assess the damage more later. But uh, I'll tell you what, Griggs. In the weather in the United States this year has been bizarre. Tornadoes and, you know, just in the whole world, we've seen the tsunami in Japan. But every week it seems like there's some uh, weather event that's taking place. It's 
devastating areas of our country. Yeah, it's definitely the year of the tornado in, in the United States, and it's it's devastating to, to sports, to people. We've seen towns just get wiped out. It's really sad, and, and we're seeing it affect uh, the sports world, and like you said, with the, the horses and, and other things and ballparks, and I mean, even last year with the dome falling in in Minnesota. Right. I mean, it's just crazy weather stuff. Yeah, it really is. Coming up next... We are going to examine the latest from the NFL and NBA collective bargaining tables. One league getting inches and inches closer. We'll say they're getting into the red zone on a deal. The other league, boy, I'll tell you what, the rhetoric I read this week, they're not going to be back anytime soon at all. Which league is which? We will tell you coming up in just a few minutes. And then after that, Bill Shaken of the Los Angeles Times is going to join me. We're going to go in-depth on the Los Angeles Dodgers situation. What a mess that situation is. We saw that Bud Selig in Major League Baseball nixed the TV deal that would have brought $3 billion to the Dodgers this week. Looks like Major League Baseball could take them over on June 30th if the Dodgers can't meet payroll. There's going to be a lot of lawyers involved in that story. That's coming up in segment four with Bill Shaken from the Los Angeles Times. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Almost made me spill my beer. She's up and ready to go, but I don't care. I'm in the zone, turn off my phone, I've got my own agenda. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, it's time for our weekly update on the labor front in the NFL and the NBA. Let's start with the NFL. Good news coming out of the NFL this week. Um, The sides met and there was good dialogue. The owners had meetings in Chicago. Then they got together in Boston. And some of the terms of a proposed New Deal started to leak out. And here are some of them. Number one, players would get 48% of all revenue. They wanted to be at 50%, but 48%. Here's the other thing, is their share would never dip below 46.5%. So that's big. If the economy turns, if for whatever reason the NFL declined, the players are always going to get 46.5%. 
teams would be required to spend close to 100% of the salary cap. So right around 93% is what they'd be required to spend. Rookie wage scale would probably be part of the deal. It needs to be tweaked. They're still talking that out. But the days of Sam Bradford and uh, Jamarcus Russell, people like that getting 30 to $40 million as a signing bonus as a rookie, those days are probably done, Griggs. And a lot of the vets, even though they probably wouldn't go on the record and talk about it, they like that because they want you to prove yourself. Why should a guy who's never played a down in the NFL get 30 to $40 million up front when I'm making nowhere near that amount? So that's something... That's good. Yeah, I totally agree with that rookie thing. I think that's a great idea because, like I say, NFL, I mean, it's such a game of proving yourself. One guy can be phenomenal in college and really stink in the NFL and vice versa. You know, sometimes the, the terrible college athletes are great in the NFL. So I think, yeah, prove yourself, then get your raises, then get your incentives, your bonuses as you prove yourself on the field. Totally. You would need four years for unrestricted free agent status. Certain tags will be retained, but those are still being discussed. There's franchise tags and things like that. Uh, The 18-game regular season schedule, which had been really a lightning bolt, lightning rod of conversation heading into this CBA, because we heard, well, the owners are going to demand 18 games as a way to not take money away from the players. That's now been termed as a negotiable item. So it would be included in this deal, but it's only negotiable. It's not mandated. So it's not like, okay, as part of this new CBA from this day forward, we have an 18-game schedule. So that's good that that's kind of been put on the back burner. The other thing that may be the biggest deal point to getting a deal reached is at the beginning of this, owners wanted a billion dollars with a B off the top to say, okay, we're going to pay for new stadiums, we have all these expenses, they've taken that off the table. So the billion dollars, that's a lot of money, that's gone away. So now you're talking about, you know, you're starting basically from ground zero, and then how do you share the revenues after that? And as I just told you, 48% would go to the players, 52 to the owners. Here's something else that would be pretty interesting. A full 16-game Thursday night TV package starting in 2014. So we've got Sunday night football now. We've got Monday night football now. Then we'd add Thursday night football to the mix. Now, why 2014? In, I believe, 2013, the new TV deal goes into effect. So those haven't even been negotiated, but the NFL can say, okay, we're bringing another night of primetime TV to the stage for TV networks. Okay, ESPN, Fox, NBC, whoever, bid on that. And you're probably going to bring in several billion dollars just from the Thursday. So that's another way for owners to make up money here. You're taking that billion dollars off the table. But now if we're going to do Thursday night football, imagine the rights just for that. ESPN pays a fortune just for Monday night football. Someone's going to pay a a small fortune for Thursday night football. And this is just huge for fans. I mean, every football fan, hey, another night of football, it's perfect. I mean, how can you not like that? I think it's great. Thursday night's a great night for football. We've seen, I mean, I love watching on NFL Network how they have it now, but you know it's going to be a prime time, so everybody's going to get to see it. Ratings are going to go crazy for that. Football fans love it. It's great. I think it's bad news for ESPN who has Thursday night college football because no one's going to watch that. If you're going up against the NFL, forget it. Unless you have just an unbelievable marquee matchup, which they usually don't have on Thursday nights. Uh, So that's another side story of this. But continuing along with the deal points for the NFL, uh, owners would still get some expense credits that allow for funding for new stadiums, but 
Again, that billion dollars is off the table, and that's huge to the players. Retirees would get improved benefits, um, and they'd probably double from the $18 million that they have now by 2016. So we've heard a lot of talk about retired players. Um, This is a a barbaric sport. They've had problems after they play with their health. So now the owners are saying we will uh, put more money in those coffers going forward. So look, in negotiations, you want a win-win for both sides. You want sides to be able to walk away and go, you know what? I feel pretty good about this. And this deal that I just read you right now, I think it's a win-win for both sides. I really do. I think they're getting closer and closer to a deal, as I've been saying the last few weeks on this show, July 15th. I think a deal is done by July 15th, uh, maybe sooner. But the rhetoric this week and the amount of detail about a new CBA that came out this week, uh, it's very encouraging to me, Griggs. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Detail. You got lots of uh, you know precise numbers they're saying, percentages, things like that. Where That's a good sign because you've got things, okay, 48% here, 52% here. They're talking figures. They're talking dollar amounts. And I think it's encouraging. I think it's a great week. I think it's a big step forward. And uh, this season can't come soon enough. And it's going to be fun when it, when it clicks over and all of a sudden all these teams go crazy trying to get everything ready because the first game starts in August. Now... Not such good news on the NBA labor front. That CBA expires on June 30th. And again, you know, we're not missing any games, so there's not the urgency. Just like the NFL, we haven't missed any games. But now there's some urgency because if they don't get something signed by mid-July in the NFL, you're going to start cutting into preseason games. By the way, $700 million tied up into preseason for the owners. They're charging the same amount for tickets to a preseason game that they are for a regular season game. So, That's a lot of money the owners don't want to lose. So there's an urgency now in the NFL to get a deal done. There's not that urgency in the NBA. And as a matter of fact, it is getting downright ugly. This week we hear that the owners are about $7 to $8 billion apart over a 10-year period. So first of all, the owners want the players to sign a 10-year deal. So you're locked in for 10 years. Players don't want to be locked in that long because they want to be able to go back and renegotiate. Then you hear this kind of a quote from Derek Fisher, who plays for the Lakers, who's the union president. We haven't been partners in this venture from day one. We've been employees. The talent has grown the game. It's difficult to be partners in recovery when we haven't been partners in generating those losses. The rhetoric is ramping up now. And the players are saying, look, We're not going to change the financial model of how the game has run for years and years and years. The owners want a complete shift. They want a complete shift in how business is done. And what you're having right now is they're far apart. These proposals that are going back and forth, neither side likes them. And not only do they not like them, they're like throwing some nasty rhetoric back and forth, saying, are you kidding me? This is the proposal you brought to me? After all this time, after we told you what we were looking for, this is the garbage you put on my desk with a week to go before this thing expires? Get lost. That's basically where they are. Yeah, and you're going to just, I mean, you can, I can sense some caught in the crosslight segments coming in, oh, in the yeah. future for some Twitter accounts because you know it's going to get ugly. And, you know, Fisher, that's a strong statement there. And uh, I think you're going to have a lot of fire back and forth. Uh, Twitter accounts, the, the players are going to start hitting stuff. And like you said, it's like the two sides of the Red Sea here. I mean, it's, both sides are so far apart. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes to get something going. 
So the players reportedly made a half-billion-dollar concession in Tuesday's meeting in proposing a five-year agreement that would keep the current salary cap system but would reduce their share of basketball-related income from 57% to 54.6% in the first several years of a new labor deal. Well, according to the union, if the players agree to the owner's request to return the $160 million in escrow funds, that's what the owners are asking for, it would have had just a terrible effect. Billy Hunter said, if we were inclined to do that deal, we'd be giving up $8.2 billion over 10 years. So that's basically how far apart the owners and players are in the NBA, $8.2 billion. Good luck crossing that ocean in the next week. It ain't going to happen. All right, coming up next, Bill Shaken with the Los Angeles Times. We're going to go in-depth on the Los Angeles Dodgers. What a mess they are. Who might buy that team? How long is it going to drag out in court between the McCourts and Bud League and Major League Baseball? All the details coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Bill Shaken with the Los Angeles Times. Bill, how are you? Uh, good, how are you? Good, I know you're a very busy man. Thanks for taking a few minutes to join me. Sure. So, this big news yesterday Bud Selig steps in and says, nope, not going to fly the deal with Fox, the multi-billion dollar deal. You've got to think a lawsuit is coming now. I mean, Frank McCourt's a guy that lives in a courtroom. Don't you think he's now going to sue Major League Baseball? Certainly the comments from his lawyers and the comments from Frank himself leading up to yesterday's decision and even after yesterday's decision uh, would lead you to believe that. And you're right, Brian, Frank is been very successful in his business history, and not just with the Dodgers, in litigation. It's an arena in which he feels very comfortable. He's a risk taker, and uh, it doesn't seem that there's any indication that he's willing to just throw his hands up and say, all right, Mr. Selig, I'll give you back the Dodgers. The other thing, too, is you've got to think Major League Baseball doesn't want to go to court over this because then they've got to open up their books, and they're in the middle of negotiating a new CBA with their players, and they don't want the players to see the books, right? Um, I've heard that argument. I don't think it goes very far, frankly. I think Major League Baseball and the Players Union are well down the road toward a new labor agreement. And by the time we would have arguments over temporary injunctions and permanent injunctions and summary judgments uh, and whether we would get to examine MLB books and whether they would be confidential or not, uh, I think 
baseball have any labor agreement in place long before then. So I've been reading you very closely, and it sounds like Frank McCourt, now that he won't have this TV money, is going to have a very difficult time making payroll on June 30th. And then Major League Baseball would be able to step in and seize the team, correct? Yeah, they would have the option to do that, and they've given every indication that they would. At that point, they would say to Frank, look, we're paying your bills now. Uh, As a condition, we need you to put the team up for sale. And if he were to say no, then they would essentially seize his ownership and put the team up for sale for him. If the McCourts file lawsuit against Major League Baseball, would that freeze the sale of the team? Uh, hard for me to tell you exactly what a judge would do, so I don't want to you know, play one here on the radio, but uh, certainly one of the considerations a judge would have to think about is it's not just a matter of money, because if you decide at the end of a legal proceeding that Frank owns the team and it's already sold to somebody else, you know, that's a big problem. Um, if it's a matter of how much money somebody is awarded in damages, then it's not as big an issue. So that would be something for the judge to consider. The other thing, too, that's interesting is – you know, will the Dodgers, could you fetch more money for the Dodgers if the McCourts sold the team on their own or if Major League Baseball sold the team? Which do you think would fetch more money? I don't think there's going to be a huge difference either way. I know the McCourt people are a little worried that, you know, there's a history in baseball that Doug Seelig likes to deal with people he knows already and steers teams toward those people. But uh, ironically, the McCourts have done a terrific job raising revenue with the Dodgers. Baseball's problem isn't the revenues that the McCourts have raised, it's what they've done with the money to get to the point where they've got a large market team that can scramble to make payroll every two weeks. Um, so I think there'll be enough bidders either way that Bud will be able to find someone that he likes and the McCourts will get a, a healthy return on their investment. I know Oral Hershiser and Steve Garvey have put together a group. Are there any other groups that you've heard of or identified that would be in the mix to own the Dodgers? Um, there's going to be a long list, and I imagine at this point most of them we have not heard from. Uh, there doesn't do much good to get your name out there before you even know if the team's going to be sold. Um, Garvey and Hershiser are terrific guys, and they had great careers with the Dodgers. There's certainly a question about where they're going to get the money to buy the team since uh, nobody thinks that they have it and nobody knows where they're going to get it. Uh, Dennis Gilbert, who's an agent or former agent here in Los Angeles, he works for the White Sox now, but he was Barry Bonds' agent back in the day. Uh, he's very powerful businessman in Los Angeles. He'd certainly like the chance to put together a group to buy the team. Uh, Mark Cuban, never know. He's tried to get involved in baseball before. Right. Uh, he's had a couple chances, and baseball does like guys who have tried and you know come back and tried and tried again. Uh, Mark Atanasio, the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, lives here in Los Angeles, would be a terrific candidate if he were to choose to do that. Uh, Tom Warner, one of the owners of the Red Sox, again, an L.A. guy, might, might choose to do that, although he said he's, he's not going to. Um, and then there are just you know money guys who are not sports guys, may not be familiar to most sports fans, but there are plenty of money guys in L.A., and uh, we'll probably hear from quite a few of them before this really does finish playing out. Joined by Bill Shaken of that Los Angeles Times. He's done a terrific job covering the McCourts and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Bill, explain to people, and I know this is pretty complex, but it sounds like that the McCourts, in their process of owning the Dodgers, have broken the Dodgers up into a number of different companies. Is that going to make it more difficult to sell the Dodgers as a whole? Because it's just really complex the way they've done this with the stadium and the team and some other entities. 
Yeah, when when the McCourts bought the Dodgers, that purchase included the team, the stadium, because Dodger Stadium has always been privately owned. It was privately financed when it was built in the 60s by the O'Malley's, who were the team owners at that point. Um, And the land surrounding the stadium, which is, as anybody knows who's gone to a Dodger game, a lot of parking lots. Um, What McCourt did when he bought the team is to split those assets into different business entities. So there's a company that runs the team. There's a company responsible for the stadium. There's a company responsible for the land. There's about two dozen companies that handle all the McCourt business interests, uh, all of which, as best we can tell from court records, are funneled with uh, Dodger revenue. So Frank's people say, you know what? If we lose the team, we're not going to lose the team, we don't think. But if we lose the team... We still have the stadium and the land. So essentially, we would be the landlord to the new owners. Uh, Major League Baseball clearly disputes that. They say it's all a package deal. And however Frank wanted to structure business for his purposes, if he doesn't have the Dodgers, he doesn't have the money to take care of all those other entities. They all go together, and the new owner would get all those assets. So that remains to be seen. Wow. The other part of this, too, is the McCourt's divorce. And there was supposedly going to be a one-day trial on August 4th does yesterday's decision by Bud Selig now nullify that trial? And what happens to the divorce of the McCourts now? Well, we'll, we'll wait to see because essentially they've figured nothing. They, they filed for divorce 20 months ago. They've resolved nothing. They still don't know. Unbelievable. Who owns their assets. They don't know how to settle their case. And the, when they came out Friday from court and said we reached a settlement, that sounds great until you read the first paragraph. And the first paragraph says, it's all contingent on the commissioner approving his television contract, which, as we know, yesterday he did uh, come out and say he's not going to approve it. So we don't know where that's all going to head. Ultimately, what could happen, since this has taken so long and baseball's very clearly fed up with the situation, is the team could be sold before anybody figures out who actually owns it. And all that would leave the divorce judge to do is say, here's how I'm going to split the proceeds. If I decide it's Frank's team, Frank gets all the proceeds. If I decide it's community property, then the court split the proceeds. But either way, the team would be long gone. What has all of this done to the uh, team, their ability to go out and get players? Is this affecting the team on the field at all? What's the, the feeling in Los Angeles? I think people are just tired. Uh, I think people want to read about the team and about the players. And they also want to know that they have an owner in place who's committed to nothing more and nothing less than putting the best team on the field. And the McCourts have had their attention diverted with this divorce proceeding and subsequent other legal proceedings for, they said, close to two years. Uh, And the attendance is horribly down. It's really sad to watch the Dodger games on TV and see a stadium that some nights is less than half full when this is a team that generally leads the league in attendance every year. It's hard to say it's all the McCourts. Um, Certainly the economy has something to do with it. Certainly the fact that a Giants fan was beaten almost to death on opening day and the L.A. police now have a very significant presence at the games, that has something to do with it. You know, and the team is awful, too. Uh, You know, if the Dodgers were winning 100 games this year and on their way to the World Series, you know, maybe the place is packed. But all those things have sort of come together, and I I hate to use the cliche perfect storm, but I just did, so there it is. Uh, So I think people just want this over. They want it resolved. They want to know who the owner is going to be. And they want to know that there are better days ahead. Well, and it looks like Bud Selig is clearly fed up. I mean, he had some strong language in the statement he put out yesterday. 
He did, and he sent McCord a, a private letter that had much stronger language than that. Uh, clearly, they're ready for a legal fight. Frank is ready for a legal fight. And, you know, honestly, let, let's bring it on if that's what's going to happen. Uh, I don't think it's good for McCourt, for baseball, or for anybody else to have these stories every two weeks about, okay, time to make payroll. Are we going to make it this week or not? Um, you know, if there's going to be a legal fight, which is both sides think is what's going to happen, then, then let's get on with it. Has there ever been precedent set for anything like this? I know the Rangers last year, they were sold ultimately to Nolan Ryan. Baseball seized control of them. But uh, have we ever seen anything like this in sports? Um, you know, I don't know really about every sport. Uh, if you look in Selig history, they haven't seized the team from an owner. Uh, they strongly encouraged Marge Schott to sell and kept encouraging her until she did. But they never really said, hey, you're out of here. And the Hall of Fame researchers say it's been, you know, almost 100 years since baseball's actually taken away a team from an owner. So there is that clause and there's that power. A lot of people look at that and go, wait a minute. How in the world, if a guy paid to own a team, how can the league come and one day just seize control? I mean, is it kind of like defaulting on your mortgage and you just don't make payments anymore because you can't meet the payroll and Major League Baseball or your quote unquote lender just comes and takes the team away? No, it's a little broader than that, because if you own a baseball team, you sign a document. Every owner does, not just McCourt. It says, I understand and I agree the commissioner has broad power to act in the best interest of baseball. And who defines that? The commissioner. So, uh, and, I, oh, and also, and I promise not to sue him. So from a court to win a lawsuit against Major League Baseball, he can't just go in there and say, uh, we believe that Bud Selig is, is doing wrong by us. Uh, that's not going to fly. What they have to do is say, Yes, the commissioner has a lot of power, and yes, we signed a document agreeing to that and agreeing not to sue him. But the one thing the commissioner is obligated to do under the law is to apply that broad power fairly. And you've started to hear parts of McCourt's argument. There are nine teams in violation of baseball's debt rules, which, again, are at the discretion of the commissioner. Um, Why are the Dodgers the only ones getting seized? Um, You know, the Mets have had enormous financial problems. Why is Selig working with the Mets but getting rid of the Dodger ownership? Things along those lines. If the McCourts brought in competent minority owners, do you think that would suffice for Major League Baseball? You know, I'm, I'm not certain whether that's too late. I mean, Major League Baseball made that suggestion to Frank a while back. He was resistant. He wanted to keep the team all in his family. Uh, more recently, he's indicated that he would be willing to consider that. But there's a process for that, too. You don't just walk in on Monday and say, here's my partner, please approve him Tuesday. Um, In fact, before anybody can even consider doing that, they have to get clearance from Major League Baseball to review the team finances, which, you know, anybody would want to do before they'd commit nine figures to uh, invest in a baseball team. Uh, And according to Major League Baseball, no one's asked for, for permission to look at the Dodgers books for the purpose of becoming a minority investor. So you got to figure, you know, McCord has a June 30th payroll issue and minority investor would take a lot longer than that. He would have to be able to convince baseball that he was going to do that. He was serious about it. And, again, I think if he did that six months ago, they might have a different reaction. I think right now it's like, you know, game over.
So, okay, let's look quickly just at the timeline. June 30th is the time for payroll. If he doesn't meet payroll, then Major League Baseball probably steps in and seizes the team. If there's a lawsuit, any idea when that lawsuit goes into play? Is Major League Baseball and and the McCourts ready to go do battle right away? Or do you think this is something that could drag out for months like the McCourts divorce has? Well, the lawsuit itself could drag out. Uh, Courts work very slowly, as everyone knows, and so... You know, if the McCourts decide, or Frank McCourt, I don't know what Jamie necessarily would do because, you know, we don't even know if she owns half the team or not at this point. <laughs> um, but if there's a lawsuit charging the commissioner has abused his powers, um, the first thing that Major League Baseball would do is go into court and say, this is ridiculous because he signed a document. He acknowledged he was never going to sue and, and acknowledged that we had these powers. So the, the lawsuit should be thrown out. Uh, at the same time, Major League Baseball probably would have to defend itself against an injunction that Frank McCourt would seek to, uh, to overturn the seizure. So there's two immediate issues, and that doesn't even start to get into the rest of the discovery for what might be a very long-term suit. I think that, that thing could be caught, caught up in the courts for years. So basically, once again, as we see in the world all the time, the big winners here are the lawyers, right? <laughs> uh, could be, certainly, yeah. Wow. Bill Shaken from the LA Times. Terrific reporting. I follow your stuff all the time, and I really appreciate you joining me. All right. Thanks, Brian. That's Bill Shaken from the Los Angeles Times. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. You would not believe your eyes if 10 million fireflies lit up the world as I fell asleep. Everywhere you'd think me rude, but I would just stand and stare. I'd like to make myself believe that planet Earth turns slowly. It's hard to say that I'd rather stay awake when I'm asleep, cause everything is never as it seems. Cause I get a thousand hugs from ten thousand lightning bugs Cause they tried to teach me how to dance A fox trot above my head, a sock hop beneath my bed A disco ball is just hanging by a thread This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me 
at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, you probably saw this week that the Marlins, their manager, who was on the job less than a year, Edwin Rodriguez, resigned. And 80-year-old Jack McKeon has taken over for the rest of the season. And if you don't follow Logan Morrison on Twitter, Lomo Marlins, you've got to. He's one of the best followers of any athlete out there. Lomo Marlins, Logan Morrison. He tweeted out the other night, McKeon asked me what I had going on tonight. Told him I was going home to play with Twitter. He replied, oh, what kind of dog is it? <laughs> that, Griggs, that's how out of touch with technology uh, 80-year-old Jack McKeon is. He thought Twitter was Logan Morrison's dog. Yeah, that is classic. I mean, that's just the best response, and it's perfect for... you. Just can, I can totally see him saying that back to him, too. Just this old guy, oh, what kind of dog do you got? <laughs> that's great. Well, and, God, what is, I mean, no offense against Jack McKeon, but first of all, he's 80 years old. Doesn't he have better things to do than come back and deal with these guys? I mean, he ended up uh, benching Hanley Ramirez, the Marlins star, right off the bat because the guy didn't show up to a meeting. So obviously there's dysfunction within that clubhouse. You know, does he want to be dealing with that at 80 years old? I hope I'm not dealing with that kind of stuff at 80 years old. And then also, no offense against Jack McKeon, but aren't there other managers out there like a Ryan Sandberg at the AAA level that are more deserving of being a major league manager? Plus, you know, that guy's got a bright future probably in the major leagues. Just bringing in an 80-year-old, that that's a quick fix to me. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just like, it, yeah, it seems like they just kind of put something in there to to mold it together just for a little bit, and there's something else going to happen down the road. Because, yeah, I mean, what's, what's an 80-year-old guy going to want to do with the team with a bunch of people, you know, 30, 60, 70 years old, younger than he is coming at him? Crazy. Wow. Who knows why people make decisions, as we discussed all the time on this show. I want to thank Bill Shaken from the Los Angeles Times, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show downloaded to your iTunes every week. Please fill out the survey at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're trying to learn more about who listens to our show, win a chance to promote your company or brand to our global sports business radio audience. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Furthermore, I apologize for any skipping tracks. This is the last girl to play me left a couple cracks. I used to, used to, used to, used to, now I'm over that. Because holding grudges over love is ancient artifacts. If I could only find a Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's 
the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 